Hello, this is the Broken Meeple Podcast Episode 2. I'm Luke Hector and I'm glad to say that the blog, The Broken Meeple, is finally up and running. Content's being posted to it usually on a weekly basis, sometimes more in a week, depends how much spare time I have after my day job as an accountant. But now, aside from just putting a few banners up, the site is up and fully working. There are already free reviews for games on the site, including Citadels, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, and Kakalakan Poker. Is that how you pronounce it? Kakalakan? It gets a bit of a weird vibe from people whenever you try and pronounce it. Um, but there's going to be more content being posted now as time goes on. Um, I'm currently working on getting my social media feeds up and running and prosperous, so if you want to support that even further, you can either visit my Facebook page for The Broken Meeple, um, I've also got a page on Google+, Plus. if you use that. Uh, I also am on Twitter, at The Broken Meeple. Um, you'll find I'm quite an avid user of Facebook and Twitter, so they will be the two platforms I use mainly. But failing that, just keep up with the website it, content will be posted every now and again and hopefully soon i'll be featured on the uk gaming media network alongside other bog podcasters such as the little metal dog show so essentially we can say that the blog is getting along quite nicely but enough with that let's actually get on with some content now these podcasts are going to be on various topics occasionally i'm going to be doing like top threes top fives because i Always like watching top tens on the Dice Tower with Tom Vassell, C. Garcia and Sam Healy because I enjoy the banter between the three of them and to be honest, I don't know whether it's a bloke thing or just me, but I think most people like a top ten. We always like to say what we like best or not best if you go for the worst top ten and debate on them. So in my case, I'm going to do those in podcasts specifically because then I can actually tell you why I've made those choices. Also, these podcasts are also going to feature what I'd like to call first impressions of games. Now, any review I do on the site is going to be a game I either own or have played to such an extent that I can make a decent review of it. However, there are going to be games that I will only get to play every now and again. Maybe they're not popular at gaming groups or someone just came along and brought it one evening. Or they might be games I don't like, in which case I'm only going to play them once. So I will be doing first impressions on those games and we're going to kickstart off now with one from a couple of weeks back where two new people to our Southampton group brought a game called, and trust me, this is not a joke when I say this, Killer Bunnies and the Quest for the Magic Carrot. No, I am not high. That is the title of the game. Killer Bunnies and the Quest for the Magic Carrot is a non-collectible card game created by Jeff Bellinger and graphic designs by Jonathan Young. It was made in 2002 and it, well, it's it's a non-collectible card game, but it pretty much ended up a bit like Magic and all the rest of them where there were just far too many boosters to count. Uh, the original game consisted of a 110 card starter deck along with other little additional cards that go with it. And that was what they called the blue set. Then there was the yellow, then there was the red, the violet, the orange, the green, the twilight white, the stainless steel, the pink, the wacky khaki. It just The list went on and on with expansions, which basically added a colour type to the game. Um, and it could start off very simply, but then eventually just get stupidly complex as you started adding more expansions. 
However, the game is meant to be a light, fun card game where the objective is to win by acquiring carrot cards. Now, to acquire these cards, you either have to buy them with money, or you have to find particular cards in the decks that say, choose a carrot. Um, but mainly it's done through the use of your bunnies, which are basically almost like characters that you have in front of you with varying special abilities that you have to protect whilst also killing off your opponent's bunnies. Now relax, this is... The age range does say 12 plus, but this could easily work for kids. There is no blood and gore, and all the, despite some semi-violent artwork in there, it's all comical and tongue-in-cheek. So you don't have to worry about freaking anybody else out with these. All the imagery is pretty amusing to look at, and I certainly didn't have a problem on that front. Now, with the bunnies you have in front of you, you will either play various weapons, anything from a nuclear device to an egg whisk uh, to wipe out your opponent's bunnies whilst trying to collect as many carrots as possible. The reason for this is because if you don't have a bunny in play by the end of the game, you can't win, period. So having one in front of you becomes very important. The carrots vary on how many there are. The original game came with eight, but then other expansions started bringing in more, and I think you can get at least 16, if not more, carrot cards, um, but I digress. The object is, though, is that once you have collected all the carrots, i.e. all 16 plus carrot cards have been taken by various players, the game ends, and then one of them is revealed to be the magic carrot. Whoever owns this magic carrot wins the game. Now, much as I enjoyed the artwork and the amusing sort of tongue-in-cheek humour that carried off with the cards, it would drive colourblind people up the wall to play this game. Because when I say the expansions were called Blue, Yellow, Red and Violet, I literally mean they are Blue, Yellow, Red and Violet. They are all the colours. So this couple, I believe, had several boosters mixed in together, and it was just a rainbow of cards in a huge stack. Now, it's not overly essential for you to be able to tell the colour types, because most of the abilities kind of say what they do, but boy is it a mission on the eyes. It does look very psychedelic, this game, when you've got all the cards laid out. Um, but there's some fun to be had with generally the banter and the... what. I believe is referred to in gaming terms as take that, where you're eliminating other people's bunnies and making life harder for your opponents. Um, I took a lot of shtick myself because one of my bunnies was getting me loads of money all the time, so the opponents decided to bleach it. And literally the card shows a colourless bunny having come out of a washing machine. This is the kind of tongue-in-cheek humour we're talking about here. But they didn't decide to just stop there. They thought after bleaching this bunny, they had decided to attack it with just about every weapon the game had to offer. They never succeeded, I don't think. It was one hell of a resist resilient bleached bunny, but <laughs> I really did not get why they found this bunny such a threat. I think they were just doing it to spite me, I don't know. But eventually the game ended with myself and one other person basically having an even number of carrots. Unfortunately, I didn't pick out the magic one, and so I lost the game in that respect. 
Now, first impressions with the game, like I said, the humour is very good, and I like the tongue-in-cheekness of it. So okay, it's going to it's going to appeal to maybe non-gamers and youngish people who just like that theme of bunnies going around killing each other. I mean, I know that sounds pretty horrific, and it's not something I condone. So you know, do not try this at home. But it's a good laugh, and it does at least with the banter between each other and the whole take that aspect. It does work in that respect. However, I have a serious problem with this game. And it's one of the general criticisms of the game in general is that you would have no doubt guessed that this game is ultimately a lottery. The winner is determined by the random choosing of a magic carrot which is set at the start of the game and not revealed until the end. This means that a player consistently outclassed can still win as long as a single bunny and a single carrot is retained by them. Now, fans of the game will contend that this random element keeps the game exciting uh, and also allows for those who have fallen behind to not be in such a poor position. Personally, that I'm all up for that kind of thing in the sense of, yes, okay, if you feel like you're far behind, there's a way to win. Um, I've played various games that have a mechanism for dealing with that, and they do work. But this isn't just simply, oh, the person who's not doing as well can potentially win. This is just literally, pick a card, is it the winner, yes or no? And I think I found out that in the game we played, the second carrot chosen by the opponent was the magic carrot. There were 16, I believe, in the game. Or at least 12, but you know, certainly 12 to 16 carrots were there, and the second one chosen was the magic one. Which basically meant that everything we did after that carrot was chosen was completely pointless. All the banter and passing around and killing off each other's bunnies meant nothing. It didn't matter how many carrots I ended up with, I still lost purely because of an unlucky lottery draw. And, you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well just dish out the carrots to each other in one big lump and then say, right, any of you got carrot number 10? Right, you're the winner. That's pretty much all it boiled down to. I mean, okay, yes, you have the fun of killing each other's bunnies, and yes, it can be argued that you need a bunny in front of you so it's not a complete waste of time, but oh, I just... I went nuts when that was revealed because I, I had an inkling that was what the end of the game was going to be like, but when I realised that I spent all this game basically being the dominant player and then losing to a lottery draw, it just killed the game for me. I don't like games that, that literally just are pure luck, because that's the thing with this game. There is no skill. Your cards are laid out in a cycle, and the only decision you have to make, and when I say cycle, I mean like you put out two cards and then each turn one or two of them is flipped, and you replenish the cycle as time goes on. So you have to sort of half predict what card you're going to need later. Now, okay, that's a fairly tactical decision, but that's about the only tactical decision you will ever make. And to be honest, the game is pretty chaotic, so it doesn't really matter what decision you make. Chances are the card is either going to be useless by the time you get it because you haven't got a bunny in play, or it's going to be stupidly overpowered because it just happened to activate bang on at the right time and you weren't even preparing for it. Um... So it just, that just kills it for me, you know. It's okay having a bit of love, but not the entire game. Hey, you know, you can tell I'm not liking this game much anymore. Although, in fairness, there is apparently an alternate rule that allows for a non-random endgame. 
you can assign points for each carrot and the magic carrot is just worth a higher point value. Now if we played it on that setting I probably would have enjoyed the game more because then getting a higher number of carrots actually meant something then. But playing it as the lottery draw, that's just a fail. You know, I don't. I would happily play this game again if we use the variant, but I cannot see myself playing this game if we use the lottery way of winning. It's just not a game. It's a lottery, and despite the tongue-in-cheek theme and the cool artwork and stuff, I mean, we're not talking fantastic artwork. It's just basically hand-drawn, cartoony type artwork. So it's not going to win any design awards, but it's amusing and it just keeps you entertained throughout the game. Um, there isn't really a sense of theme, it's just a case of here's some bunnies, here's some special abilities and you're going after carrots. You know, I mean, you, you get money to buy various things, you know, to power up your bunnies, which I mean, yeah, bun all bunnies go around with money these days. I suppose the most thematic thing in the game is that occasionally you have to feed your bunnies cabbage and water, otherwise they die, which is basically a almost like a, the equivalent of a dungeon called curse card that people can play on you from time to time. Although, during the whole game, I failed to see anybody really get bothered by that. They either had so much cabbage and water that it really didn't make a difference, or the bunny that they put it on was not that much use to the player anyway, so they just thought, oh well, sod it, let him die. It wasn't that big a deal in the game. It just basically came down to playing the bunnies until you got enough cards that said, choose a carrot from the remaining stash. Because those were, the, I think there was only two ways you could even get carrots anyway. You had to get one of those cards, which is complete luck out of when it draws out of the deck, and two, I think buying carrots, but they were stupidly expensive. Most people didn't have the money to be able to buy them, and if at most you might have bought one carrot in the game with money. You pretty much had to rely on the cards. Um, so all in all, I would play it if you just took some of that luck aspect out, but personally, it's just not really my type of game. There is just far too much luck involved in it, and I can't see myself getting into this game to a great extent. Um, however, it's not that difficult to find. It's also relatively cheap to pick up because you can pick up, I believe, a deluxe set these days, which contains most of those booster decks in them. So it gives you like a nice big full game right out of the box. So it's not too bad. And at least there's no issue with like most collectible card games where you've got common, uncommon and rare. In this case, it's just you buy this booster, you get those cards bit like LCGs in that respect. Um, so at least you're not, you know, losing your house to the <laughs> to trying to get all the cards in this game. It's not that expensive to pick up. Anyways. Okay, and now we're on to our first top chart of the Broken Meeple podcast. Now, there's only three in this particular chart because the topic is top three worst genres in board games, by my opinion. I've, I've stressed that now. These top charts and these reviews are my opinion. I try to speak from a wide audience, but occasionally you're going to disagree with my opinion. If so, fantastic. The whole great thing about this reviewing Lark with board games is that everybody has their differing opinions. I've got games that I absolutely adore, 
and that people slate. Cosmic Encounter is a great example. This is a game that I'm due to review on the site very soon. This will probably be the next review I put up. And not to like spoil things too much, I like the game. But it, uh, it can get slated by people or praised highly. It doesn't seem to have a middle ground. You either love it or hate it. And that's fine. If you don't like those sort of games, then fine. At least, <laughs> at least you're into games and you're not thinking less of me, hopefully, for doing it. I'm not going to think less of you having a different opinion. You know, granted, I've had occasional arguments with people when I've debated certain games. I believe, um, most heated one I've had recently is trying to compare Avalon to Shadowhunters. If you don't know what those two games are, I'll get onto those in a future podcast. But let's, let's just say it caused a bit of a, an uprising between me and someone else when that happened. But I digress. The top three worst genres. This is only top three because, after all, I play board games and I like them. So if I had a top ten worst genres, I think I'd use up most board games in existence. And then that would kind of defeat the point of me liking board games. So we're just going with top three. These are three types of games that I don't enjoy playing. On occasion, I will play them. But deep down, I just don't like the way the mechanics work. It either grates me to an extent or it just takes out the fun aspect of what a game should be. So on we go. Number three. Auction games. Now, auction games can be quite popular with some people I know. It's not a hated genre, however, I do see a few people shy away from it whenever it gets mentioned. Um, a, a good example of an auction game which I don't mind, but don't overly love, is For Sale. It's a very simplistic, almost filler type game where you bid on various properties, anything ranging from a dog kennel to a space station. Um, to acquire the best properties you can, and then that's the first half of the game. The second half of the game, you're bidding on checks based on using your properties that you just acquired to get the most money. It's a nice look for the game, but it's it's just a bit repetitive in my liking, and with auctions, I always seem to be the person who's one short for whatever reason, whether because somebody has matched the exact amount of money I've got left in my stash, or just conveniently I don't have one less money. It just sometimes grates me when constantly you're getting frustrated with that. And occasionally it's got nothing to do with the way you play. It just might be the sucky turn order that you happen to be in. I had one round where I always had a problem decision to make. And it had nothing to do with the fact that of my bad bidding. Because I hadn't had a chance to bid. This was literally just me going fourth in the turn order. Which conveniently always ended up being a bad position. Um... But it does grate me a little bit, and I don't think of auctions as an overly skillful type of game. I also don't think of it greatly as an interactive side either, and I know some people will disagree with that, but I like interaction on the sort of take that theme, or like my actions directly oppose your actions. Now, okay, you can argue, yes, I've outbidded him, therefore my actions influence him, but then you're just basically going 10, 11... 12, 13, 16, oh, that's annoying, I'm out. You know, that's pretty much how an auction game ends up being, really. So it doesn't really, it's not the most riveting experience to have in a board game. Um, another 
good example of... I mean, most board games don't have auction as the only thing in them. For Sale is purely an auction game. Most games will have auctions as a side part of the game. It could be a major element, it could just be a minor element. Um, I'll give a good example. A heavy Euro game I've played several times is Power Grid, where auctioning is part of the first element of the game, where you have to bid on various types of power plants to build up your reserves and eventually start making money. Now, again, that f part of the game, I'm, I'm fine with Power Grid for the point where you're buying houses and buying the fuel and resources, that's great. I just don't like the auction aspect where you're sitting there bidding with each other, literally trying to think of your money to the pound. The there's one problem a lot of people have with Power Grid, the fact that you are pretty much an accountant while you play this game. You're constantly thinking, I need this much money for this, I need money money for this. Now, I'm an accountant in my day job. I don't need a game that forces me to be an accountant again. <laughs> I do enough of it from nine till six. I don't need a board game to remind me of it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not a major hassle. I will play an auction game. They're just not generally my favorite. So, that's number three. Number two, 18xx games. Now, I've only played a few of these in my time, and only a couple recently, but generally 18xx usually relates to a train game of some sort, where pretty much you're not even just building trains, you are running a train company. Um, the last one I played, I can't remember, it was 18-something. I mean, that's pretty much the theme of them, it's just a date. Uh, but you effectively had to run your own company and you were building up trains, routes throughout the various countries, uh, getting money from people using your routes, but also paying yourself personally in the game a dividend whilst getting income in the company as well that you need to buy more trains later on or purchase better routes. And my problem with 18xx games is that when I said things like Power Grid force you to be an accountant, this one forces you to be a company director. Literally a proper company director. You almost feel like the fat controller out of Thomas the Tank Engine if you gave him a proper business job. It literally is that bad. Um, you are there constantly thinking about, oh, I need this money for this, this money for this, and it feels like a job doing this game. You almost think that you're going to get a message from bailiffs or something coming through your letterbox as you play this game going, you're in debt and you can't afford to pay this bill. You know, it, it's almost a little bit too realistic for the game. Um, not to say that the Agent XX games can't be fun, and there is an element of take that to them, although not particularly great. It's a bit like Euro games in that respect. But it's just a bit too far on the detail for my liking. You know, you've got train games, for example, you've got Ticket to Ride. Now, I've yet to play Ticket to Ride, but it's highly regarded by people like the Dice Tower, and pretty much most people like Ticket to Ride in some shape or form. And that's a fairly simple train game. You play cards, connect routes, block other people, the end. There's no monetary aspect, there's no company directorship aspect, that kind of thing. But... Then you get sort of middle road train games where there's a little bit of money aspect, but again, you're just connecting routes in some table form. 18xx is basically the top of the scale where you are doing pretty much everything a train controller would actually do. I think the only thing the 18x game doesn't simulate 
is the backlash from people as you start putting up fair prices. I think that's about it, really. So you can escape that element of real life, but otherwise you are really straining your head trying to think, oh, I must do this, must do this. And decisions are so key in 18xx games that you make one wrong decision and it can screw you up for the whole game. I mean, granted, the last time I played an 18xx game, I won it. But God, did I have a slight headache by the end of it as I was thinking, Jesus, did I just put in that much thought process into a game? I mean, I've got Agricola on my shelf and I love Agricola. But even that doesn't require so much brain power as an 18xx game does. It's... They're really for a specified type of people who really like in-depth, complex strategic games. I'm not saying 18xx games are bad in any way. I still had a bit of fun there. I just think, no, sorry, if I want to play a game, it doesn't have to be a short game. It just has to have fun in it. And I just think that 18xx takes life a little bit too seriously in its game mechanics and just zaps a lot of the fun out of it. You know, I don't want my day job to be represented in a board game. You know, there's a reason why there is no board game out there called Office Worker The Game. Um, But let's get on to number one. Now, this is probably going to cause a little bit of controversy. It depends whether you class these as games or not. However, I include all categories of games, so we'll see how it goes. Number one, pub quiz games. Now, yes, before you start backlashing at me, pub quiz games count. Just like party games count. I have nothing against party games. I love a lot of party games, and there's a lot I want to try. Pub quiz games could possibly fall into that area of party games, depending on your take. However, these these pub quiz games that you can get, whether it's just answering questions of cards or playing a DVD which simulates a pub quiz experience, uh, they are, exist out there, they are games, they are bought by families, and some people like them. God, I hate them. I really hate them. You know, I'm an accountant. I'm a chartered accountant. I'm a chartered tax advisor. Now, that might suggest brainy to you. And fair enough, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, I'm alright at my job. However, I am the first to admit that when it comes to general trivia, I suck. You know, <laughs> you put me on QI, God knows what negative points value I would end up with by the time that finished. And pub quiz games like to remind me that when it comes to trivia, I am stupid. And because these pub quiz games are pretty much played with my family, who know a lot more trivia than I do, it's half embarrassing to play the game because they will... We There's five of us. Mum, Dad, two brothers and myself. So we already have to do teams. And you've got a team of three and a team of two, but you might as well just have it 2v2 because my contribution to the team is pretty much next to nil unless a question on James Bond, Doctor Who, or... I don't know. Well, what other topics do I know of? Not a lot. It's... <laughs> cocktails. There you go. Yeah. They come up quick common in pub quizzes, don't they? So it's really embarrassing that all these questions will come up and I'm pretty much sat there with my hand on my elbow, just bored to tears, knowing that I can't answer this question. And constantly they'll be saying to me, oh, do you know this one, Lucas? No, of course I don't know who such and such from 1763 was. It's, you know, my 
My thought process is a bit like Sherlock Holmes. Not that I'm a fantastic detective in any regard. I mean, I wish I was. You know, I think Sherlock Holmes is a fantastic character, both on TV and book. But I digress. Um, but those who know the character know that he has a specified way of thinking where if it's relevant to what he does, he knows everything about it. If it's got no relevance to him at all, he blots it out entirely. Which is why people know the who read the book will know the famous quip that he gets where he doesn't know how many planets are in the solar system. Something that we all knew from childhood just by going to school, whether or not you had an interest in astronomy or not. Um, but that's my way of thinking. You know, board games. From what experience I have, I know a fair bit about board games. My job, accountancy, I know a lot about accountancy and tax. It's my job. Various interests I've got, like cooking and cocktails and health and fitness, the gym, pilates. Stuff like that. I know about those topics. But that's because I enjoy them. I have an interest in them. So when a pub quiz comes along with art and literature and history that dates back to Lord knows when BC, it's, I, most of the time I don't have an interest in it, so I'm not going to know the answer. And yet everybody else I play a pub quiz game with knows it. So it just makes me look stupid. Oh, <laughs> I really hate pub quiz games. You know, I don't even like going to the pub quiz in an actual pub. Because again, I just sit there bored to tears, sipping on my cider, going, when's this finish? Can we go play some pool or something? You know, it just, oh, they really do my head in. And because my family is a difficult family to get into board games, pub quizzes is the main thing they got. Or trivia games. I mean, I was happy that I've recently managed to get them into Dixit. You know, Dixit's a fantastic party game, and I hope to review that at some point in the future. Probably in the next, uh, probably in the next month, I think, because I've got a few other reviews planned yet. But Dixit, like I say, they, I introduced them to that game, and they love it, and I love it. So great, we can go home and play that all the time. At least it stops them playing a stupid pub quiz game. Unfortunately, I went home for bank holiday weekend to visit them, and despite all the games of Dixit and teaching my brother how to play Citadels, which I must admit was quite a feat that he actually enjoyed it, I really did not expect him to. But again, I digress. We were forced to play a pub quiz game. They were adamant that I should play their new Wise Owl edition of a pub quiz game, which doesn't matter what edition you call it or how you dress it up, it's just a pub quiz. Here's the topics. Here's the questions. Answer them. Oh, you can't answer them? You're stupid. Go sit in the corner with the glittering glue. It's uh, such a pain to play these games. And funny enough, that game, I think there was about ten categories with five questions in each. I think I guessed right about four of them. And I knew the answer properly to three of them. So we're talking seven out of a hundred... No, seven out of... 50 questions that I had any knowledge of, and four of those seven were guesses. So it just shows that when it comes to things like general trivia games, I don't know a lot. I just know random knowledge from occasional experiences or just because someone's told it to me. I don't go out of my way to learn it. I mean, history, for example, I gave up after year eight. I can't stand history. You know, <laughs> if it happened more than a week ago, you know, chances are I can't remember it. My memory's not fantastic as it is. But yeah, pub quizzes, number one worst genre of time, in my opinion. I just don't like them. So just to recap, auction games at number three, 18xx games at number two, 
and the dreaded pub quiz games. I can't even say it without getting angry, it's that bad. That's my top three worst game genres. At some point, I'm sure I'll do a top three or five uh, best genres because much as I enjoy most games of any genre, there are some genres that stand out. Not necessarily my own collection, but certainly if someone brings a game of that genre to the table, I'm instantly going to be thinking, oh yeah, I'll give that a try, that sounds good. Um, but I'll get onto that in a future podcast. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening to episode two. I hope you enjoy the blog as it starts coming together nicely with signing up for various social media feeds or just keeping track of my reviews. Um, just a couple of thanks to give out at the moment, uh, three people in particular. Firstly, my mate Bill Bennett, who very kindly has helped me tweak the blog layout uh, because he runs a blog himself, a very successful blog, and he's been helping me with tweaking various things like HTML code and some of the more complex stuff that I don't know much about. You know, the, the whole site is run on Blogger, and apart from a few gadgets and widgets that I've self-taught, the complex HTML stuff, which I know some people that's not complex, but, you know, it's not my strong subject, he's helped me a lot get that together, so thanks to him for that. Uh, another person I want to thank is another friend of mine, Ian Downs, who uh, designed my logo and banner for the Broken Meeple. And to be fair, I was quite shocked because I didn't even realize he did this as a side hobby. And suddenly he's like, okay, I can do this logo for you. And within the matter of hours, suddenly there's a logo and banner which suited me perfectly. It got the Broken Meeple character. It's got the Carcassonne style tile background. It's in my opinion, perfect for what I need, and I hope, you know, people like the logo as well. Um, and the third person I want to thank is Michael Fox out of the Little Metal Dog Show. Uh, when I was doing my research as to who else was in the UK for these sort of blogs, the Little Metal Dog Show was one I'd already started listening to a while back and reading their reviews. Um, I got in touch with Mike, who very kindly gave me a few tips and pointers on writing reviews and doing podcasts in general. Um, and also very kindly put up my first review on Operation Flashpoint. Operation Flashpoint? No, it's a PC game. I mean, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Yes, get it right, Luke. Uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue on his website um, as a guest review. And, you know, I'm grateful for any publicity in that respect because obviously one of the hardest things about getting a blog set up is getting the name out there. There's already loads of really good blogs and podcasts and review sites out there, half of which I listen to on a regular basis. You know, I can't stress enough that I do get a lot of enjoyment after watching the Dice Tower in its many shapes and forms. Um, so great thanks to those three. So, I'll leave it there. Episode 3 will be sorted in the coming weeks. That's it for me at The Broken Meeple. Thanks for listening, and take care.